And uh, hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving, and uh, we are grateful for the many things that God has given to us. And just a reminder on the back, uh, there is uh, just a question you can answer, kind of the involvement, what was the most memorable Christmas spent, but also the Christmas cards around the outside. If you'd like to bring one for the church family, you can just stick it right there. There's some scotch tape in the back. But turn if you would, we are going to go to Galatians. Uh, We're not going to get, even though it's a Christmas season and you have Sometimes you think back in, in October and August is a Christmas season for marketing in the merchandise, but um, we won't be going through the Christmas uh, messages because every year we have Christmas, and I don't want to use up all the Christmas messages in one year. But, um, but we're following through. We're in Galatians as well, and we're going to be dealing with the question, what does it mean to be spiritual? So turn, if you would, to Galatians, and we've been going through Galatians and finishing up the book of Galatians, but Galatians 6, 1 through 5. And I'll be reading that out of the New King James and the Holman Christian Standard. But Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5. And I'll read it first in the um, New King James, since it's only five verses, and then the Holman uh, Christian. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore each one, such a one, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load." Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just ask that uh, you would lead us and guide us. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it gives to us. And Father, I just pray that you would help us as we go through this text, that you truly would be, first and foremost, preeminent in all areas of our lives. And as we submit to your word, we pray that you would help us to be spiritual, to follow after you, and to understand what it means to be guided by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So looking at this morning, dealing with the text, it's only five verses, and you think, oh, it's not too long. But we're going to address the question, what does it mean to be spiritual? And so going to ask Riley if he'll switch over to the PowerPoint and have that. What does it mean to be spiritual? And I just put that 2B for the younger generation in there. But... uh, As we look at it, we're going to see five slides illustrations because the world asks, what does it mean to be spiritual? If you were to ask someone, what does it mean to be spiritual? They might say, spiritual integrity. What does it mean to be spiritual? The next one goes along and says, ask that question. You know, what does it mean to be spiritual? If you were to ask a Buddhist and someone who would say, okay, what does it mean to be spiritual? They would give you a different answer. So here's a few others. Here's another one. We have five here. So spirituality, you have to have all of these different catchphrases and use that. Or on the other side, you have how to be ultra-spiritual, different steps, and maybe follow that, you could be spiritual, you know, involving all those. The next one we have, 
says spirituality is not a religion, but spiritual just means you are in touch with your own divine self. Hopefully you catch what's wrong with that. Um, And then five spiritual awakening symptoms. And it says, uh, you feel as though your life is false or empty. You're completely lost. You intuitively know that there's something more to life. You're starting to question everything you've been taught. You feel the need to be alone more often. And that's how some people say, oh, you know, there's a spiritual awakening. So last one here says, uh, being spiritual has nothing to do with your beliefs. It's to do with what you feel. So I just want you to look at that because this is how society, different uh, internationally, the world, tries to address spirituality, getting in touch with yourself, how you feel, Uh, maybe being one with the divine, as they would say. But I want to explain what the Bible uh, states as far as spirituality, because we are to be spiritual. If you look at the text, last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And as we, um, Galatians 5 ends with the fruit of the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And while there are biblical principles in some of these sayings that these gurus and other individuals have mentioned. But what is the biblical principles? So let's look at our text in chapter 6, understanding background-wise, it's written to believers. It says brothers. Now it doesn't mean that um, it's only written to men, and uh, it's written to both male and female, and it's written to believers. And it says, within the body of Christ, we are to look out for the spiritual well-being of one another. Part of church membership, local church memberships, involves a mutual obligation to pray and to help one another, and to a limited, biblically defined extent. Because sometimes people say, well, um, I'm the nosy neighbor, and I just want to know everything about you so that I can, um, but under the auspices of being spiritual. Well, it's understand we have to define it under the biblical parameters of what it means to be concerned about others spiritually. So let's look at three ways to respond to our our circumstances and to be spiritual. Number one is to have a a spirit-led reactive uh, response to our circumstances. If you look in chapter 6, it says, Brethren or brothers, if a man or someone is overtaken in any trespass or if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, and as we look at just starting there, okay, when... There is an individual, a brother or sister in Christ, that is caught in sin, and it happens. We have church leaders. We have people who are are in charge of large churches. We have people who are in charge of small churches. Each person has the ability to fall into sin, each of us. But here, what is the response? Oftentimes, believers, we say, oh, it's such a shame. Some of us say, oh, I knew that was going to happen. Some of us say, oh, I'm glad it wasn't me. Some of us say, yep. You know what? Guess what? I knew that was going to happen. We look at, at that. But what is a spirit-led reactive response? First of all, we shouldn't prejudge. And it says here, do not prejudge. And where it says in the text here, it says, Brother, if, a, if a one is overtaken in a trespass or a wrongdoing, it says, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be, be tempted. So I think one thing is we shouldn't prejudge because it's often looking at 
uh, the believer's response. And here the word in the original language is not in a sin because they've fallen into sin and there, there are different opportunities that people fall into sin. And the word here used is different. It's not one who has been in a, in a lifelong sin or this is, uh, they've been faced with a sin and, and they jump right in. And what occurs is, let me just address it from the believer's response, because the reactive response being prejudging, Christians usually are the ones worse at judging and condemning other believers rather than evaluating from a case-by-case -case basis. How often do we say, you know, how is their character? Uh, has this occurred before? Caught in a wrongdoing actually equals a non-intentional sin. And you might say, Pastor, every sin is non-intentional. Well, there's some sins that are more proactive. But this is referring to an inadvertent wrongdoing. If a believer does something wrong on a sudden impulse or by a, a mistake, suppose you're, at a you're on a diet and you're going through the grocery aisle and you see those things they put right in front of you that, oh, you know, Oreos, I like those, you know, and sometimes that is an impulse if you haven't eaten all day. It's like, oh, I got to get some of those. Okay, we must think, fail to adhere or conform to a specific standard, not a settled course of action, but an isolated instant by which a person is not defined. So there's sin, and all is sin. I don't want to categorize sin, but there's different methods of how we get into sin in the sense of looking at sin. As sin's definition in here, there's some where we have um, willingly sinned, but there's also where there's a failure of sin. And uh, understanding what takes place. For example, some of you, well, most of you, everyone here, I would assume, is taking a test, even some of the younger people taking a test. And some of you younger ones are going to learn that you can't pass every test. There's tests that you fail. And those of you who haven't failed a test, guess what? It'll come different ways. But a test grade. How many have ever failed a test? Raise your hand. I know we're kind of, it's not confession time, but guess what? A failed test does not define you. Might have been the teacher. Might have been the, t the test you took. You know, I stayed up all night studying for a blood test one time, and I failed. So, but uh, And then how about a job review or a 90-day probationary period, a dress code violation, sometimes those who have had to be in uniform in the military. Guess what? Inspection. Uh oh, guess what? Sometimes fail in that. A moving violation or, or for a non-functioning functioning taillight, maybe something you didn't even know about. Anybody ever get a ticket? I know you don't have to tell me, but whether it's speeding ticket, moving violation, I've gotten a ticket before. But sometimes you think, what is the deal? You know, with, with that. But we have this, and this is the idea. Even though you're in the wrong, you are wrong, but you might not have known about it. And so the sin is addressed. And so that's where, you know, understanding there's a spirit of a person who wants to change, but a person who doesn't know, and they've erred. A forgotten birthday or an anniversary. That's the idea, the concept here of the sin that comes into it. And the qualitative conditional that is put in here by Paul says, you who are spiritual. What does that mean? Believers who live their lives in conformity with, as we've seen back in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Back in chapter 5, verse 16 through 26, they exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. One does not condemn or use knowledge as power. When we know someone else who sinned, it's kind of like, all right, you know, they're here, I'm here. I'm more spiritual, I'm closer to God. You lowly sinner. Sometimes we, the longer we've been a Christian, we get that concept or idea that we're more spiritually mature. 
But guess what? There can be a person who's been a believer for a long period of time that it really isn't any sp more spiritually mature than a young believer. But here, when it comes to sin and the response here, but for the, for the believer who comes in and sees another one in a wrongdoing or a fault, what is the reactive response here? It says, believers must not gossip to others in order to make themselves look better. But here, what they're told is don't underestimate the sin, first of all. We see here, don't prejudge, but also don't underestimate the sin. And so as you look at letter B coming ahead is going to be don't underestimate sin because what happens it says in the text restore such a person rehabilitating those who have lapsed into sin the command is given to the community of believers however it's also conditional and um, it is placed upon the burden of spiritually mature and we must be aware too that even the spiritually mature have areas of weakness if we're honest with ourselves Anyone who has been a believer for a long time, there's still areas that you're going to struggle with, and you must be aware of those. I know a pastor in a large church who had a problem with pornography, so he went to another lead pastor and said, you know what, I'm having this trouble. So that pastor recommended him counsel with another mature believer in the church, and guess what? That person says, well, well, I have an issue with pornography. And just understanding is that you know, have to admit the weaknesses and being aware because where your, our susceptibilities lie to sin. Even in Genesis, it talks about it's like a, a lion waiting to pounce. Well, the elements don't go in that room, but be also be aware of these areas of weaknesses. So first, evaluate the character. What does that mean? As a believer, as a mature believer to be spiritual, must evaluate that qualitative conditional Okay, first of all, does this person have a gentle spirit? Sure, it says restore that person, but you don't want them restored by the military drill sergeant. It says, okay, you've sinned. Okay, you, you need to be punished. You need to be driven hard. And guess what? Now get back and start behaving correctly. You know, that can really crush a spirit. It's like, wait a second. I didn't even know what I was doing. And that can really turn a young believer or a believer away. And here the character it says a gentle spirit. There are those who are defined by gentleness. Sometimes uh, there's an individual who is six foot four and, uh, you know, full of muscle and uh, rides a motorcycle. And we think, oh, you know, I don't want to mess with that person. But they could have a very gentle spirit and they could be known by that. And some might say, oh, that's a weakness. But understanding the character of the individual, what they're known by, it sets them apart. A spirit of meekness or gentleness. And how that can really benefit a person who has gotten into sin. If you look in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we know someone in that church, someone had fallen into sin and because blatant sin. That was blatant sin with the, with the mother-in-law, well, it, the father's wife. And what happened is the church came down hard on them, and they corrected that sin. But now Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, 5, he says, okay, now, Gentle, a little more gentleness. Understand now that, you know, they've, they've repented. Now don't beat them over the head with it. Allow them to come back and restore such a person. And so we need to understand that. But also evaluate the conscience. And believers must understand is watching out for yourself so you won't be tempted. Hold your spot. If you look at 1 Corinthians 10.12. 1 Corinthians 10.12. I just go back. 
in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.12. Um, some of you may know and have memorized 10.13. If you haven't, it's a great verse to memorize. But 1 Corinthians 10.12. 1 Corinthians 10.12, and it states, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What does that mean? Let me read it again in uh, another version, which is 1 Corinthians 10.12. Here it says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Now, we never read without context. So the context here talks about, it's a warning to us, you know, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man or humanity. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. To be aware of the trials and temptations, be careful. It says, do not underestimate sin and be aware of your own weaknesses. You know, we're coming up on the, on the Christmas season, the Christmas holiday season. And guess what? There's cheeses, there's crackers, there's chocolates, there's candy, there's cookies, and they're not calorie-free, but we love them. And they're great. And, you know, we can enjoy them, but we need to be aware. So if you have a weakness, like an affinity for homemade cookies, you know, you can give it in that weakness and just eat all the homemade cookies you want. Or you can just be careful and be aware. Oh, you know what? I've had my, my allotment for the week. I'm not going to go there. And be aware. But it's the same way in our spiritual lives is to understand and if there's someone dealing with a weakness uh, or someone has been gotten into sin by accident, and it's a sin that, you know, you're aware of, sometimes the spirits of mature say, oh, well, you know, let me help you because I've been a Christian longer. But maybe there's someone else who you could connect them to. So be aware, be careful. And uh, it's the spiritually mature to understand what that means, the uh, conscience and the character. But also the second thing is not only a reactive, a proactive, a spirit-led proactive response. Proactive. There's an illustration of a young um, groom who was introduced to his in-laws for the first time. And as they sat together and, and with the um, soon-to-be bride and with the parents conversing about marriage advice uh, for a while with the soon-to-be um, together, the soon-to-be father-in-law suddenly picked up his wife and carried her across the room. After the display of strength and chivalrous eccentricity of the, the daughter asked her father if that helped keep a healthy marriage and inquired if the future groom should do that as well. The father responded to the future son-in-law, turned to him and stated, by lifting your future mother-in-law and carrying her across the room, I want to teach you an important biblical principle. The Bible teaches us to carry one another's burdens. Ooh, I know. And my mother-in-law's in the room here, but anyway, so understand carrying one another's burdens. What does that mean? As we look at the text, go back there. And it says here in chapter, if you look at going back to chapter 6 and verse 2, you who are um, looking at here, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The New King James says, bear one another's burdens. The Holman Christian says, carry one another's burdens. What does that mean? Well, first of all, I'll define it in just a moment, but First of all, we must spend time with other believers. In order to know their burdens, we must spend time with other believers. And so advance the slide. Carry one another's burdens in verse 2 or bear one another's. First of all, how aware are you of the burdens of others? And I'm not saying to go find out every burden that the people have, uh, but to be aware as you spend time with people. And some of us, 
it's hard to spend time with people, but to proactively, as you spend time with other believers, to get to know them, you're going to hear some of the burdens, what is pressing upon them, especially from a spiritual standpoint. So spend time with other believers. Too often we don't want to bother with others um, and bother other, and there are also on the flip side, there are those who don't want to bother others with their own personal problems. However, sometimes it's, it's an issue of pride. You know, we just say everything's going fine. We're doing okay. We fear other people's reactions to our situations. And Americans pride themselves on independence. You know, I can do it. I did it on my own with no one else's help. But if you look back, it often is true, the circumstances of people and the timing. And to let another person carry our burden is very humbling. We don't even want to let them know that we have a burden. That is why people put only the best images on Facebook. But it is a spiritual response. And first of all, spending time with others, so getting to know others, and also for you, yourselves, allowing your burdens to be known. So spending time. But secondly, asking and praying. And in your notes there, asking and praying for other believers. Carry one another's burdens. It refers to all the weaknesses, the suffering, the pain, and load that is hard to bear. It does not refer to calls to remove the stress, the work, the financial problems, the emotional or consequences of our own doing. Sometimes we want, here, just take the whole burden. Okay, take it away. But to carry one another's burdens doesn't mean just simply to, okay, take it upon yourself and move it. That's often what uh, we try to do. When, when there's someone we care about, we want to take away their pain, take away the burden from them. If someone breaks their leg who is close to you, and you know what, you can't take away the pain. You want to uh, make it so that they aren't suffering or going through a difficulty, but you can't. But you can be there. You can support them. You can encourage them. And here, these burdens are often man-made. We can view them as punishment, consequences for our own actions, or, or believers' responsibilities. And to remove, these are events that occur to shape and mold our character that God allows to come into our lives. It's not always the role of the local church or community of believers to remove that burden, but to help them through the process. Prayer involves focusing our trust on a holy and sovereign God and partnering with that person in prayer. When you say, oh, I'll pray for you, hopefully you do pray. It's a discipline, but it's also making your request known to God. It's an act of obedience. To know that someone is praying for you provides great encouragement, support. Don't ask, hey, how's it going? We need to ask, you know, what is God teaching you? What are you learning from God? How can I pray for you? I mean, I'm guilty. I was asked, how's it going? First response. Oh, things are going well, you know? We stay with a smile and then move on, and we might be carrying the greatest burden. But if we want to dig a little deeper and really help carry another's burden, it's going to involve asking and praying. But also involves showing balanced love for other believers. Showing balanced love to others. And here we see a few areas that many times believers make mistakes in wanting to help others. I read an article in Christianity Today about a believer who wanted to simply donate his kidney to help someone else. 
I used to work in kidney pancreas transplants and used to help on uh, some of the transplants and they talk with family, they do counseling in order to make sure they understand uh, what is going on and also donor relations. But for someone just to donate because there's a need, they feel compelled to do that. And his wife had reservations and as I was reading through, you know, my thoughts from a biblical standpoint is there's a, that's a good thing, but what's the final purpose? You know, what is the spiritual impact? To donate to, we have two kidneys and one, you know, you don't need, but there's a reason you have two and you could donate to a good cause, but you could donate your car to a good cause. You donate your house to a good cause and your kidney, you could donate that as well. There's nothing wrong with it, but what is the spiritual impact? And to donate to someone needy is a noble cause, but it has no lasting eternal spiritual impact. And what I mean by that conditional is that it presents a believer who participates in a sacrificial deed. Prayer, counsel, and even personal spiritual growth can help give direction to a desire to donate an organ. So I always say, you know, it, it needs to come from the Holy Spirit and counsel to do something to make that. Because otherwise we can make significant sacrifices for others, but when done in our own actions, they do not have the same spiritual significance they could possess with God's direction and leading. Now, there's nothing wrong with donating kidney, but just to say, I want to do something noble cause, I want to donate a kidney. But if there's prayer, there's a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit leading you to donate, God is going to bring about maybe a family or interaction for a spiritual conversation or maybe even to share Christ with them. And that will have eternal impact. And that's where the balance is because with God's direction and leading when we do things and feel compelled to, it's going to be something that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates. And this is something I need to do. You might not always understand. But it's not just going to be about, okay, I have this feeling, I need to do it. It, might be, it would take a period of time, receive some counsel, some guidance, the Word of God. There's going to be reaffirmation. And three areas where often believers do not show balanced love, number one is with family, parents, siblings, children. And just because they are family does not mean you should give them what they want. As we look at it, and still going through, and it's not verse 1, sorry about that, but in verse 2, as we go through, read the text, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I'll, I'll explain in just a moment what it means to the law of Christ. But in bearing one another's burdens... It doesn't mean just give them everything they want or ask for, because sometimes we get confused. As a believer in Christ, we just give everything away or we do that. We aren't sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. And you do not owe your adult children favors. Guilt is a powerful tool, and we can help family in times of crisis, but repeated more than two times, it's a cycle that needs to be broken. They need to live and get their lives in order spiritually above all help, because while you may be helping them materially, you're not helping them spiritually. And that's where it begins. They get objective counsel from another source because usually family knows each other's weaknesses. Why do you think a child knows which parent to go to when they ask for things? You know, and you were the same way. I bet if I asked you, if you, have, if you grew up with a mother or father, if you asked them, if you wanted to ask for money, you would ask one parent over the other. Or maybe you wanted to go stay at a friend's house, you would ask one parent over the other because they're different people. But it's the same way. And so family and fr family, they know different things about us, and so they also know our weaknesses. And we don't have 
always good discernment. And this is a balanced love. And carrying one another's burdens, they might say, oh, I have this burden materially, I need more money, or, or I need this. But it's not necessarily a burden, it's a consequence of their actions. Same thing with friends. That friend who's constantly borrowing money, or go back to high school. In high school, there used to be one who I would label, and probably politically incorrect, but it doesn't matter, the mooch. The mooch would never bring money, never bring anything, and they'd always want some food of what you've got. Can I have some of that? Here you go. Are you going to eat that? You know, there's some people who clean up, but this person never has anything, never brings anything to share. They are the mooch, you know? And then it becomes relational messes. There's a person who comes over and stays. There's alcohol, drugs. And as a friend, you're in the relationship. Sometimes you, you're the one who God says you need to tell them what they need to hear because they're not going to hear it from others. And uh, it, it becomes where they have burdens, but you're the one in the position who they always ask, oh, you're not my friend if you don't help. Interesting how they put those conditions on there. Same way if a friend, you don't love me if you don't do this. Well, sometimes love requires not doing that. And then the poor. And the poor, this is the third area, is the poor is cyclical. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't help the poor. If anything, generosity is important. But even as we went through the book of Mark, we see the transition of Christ helping out the sick and those who needed help, but then going to the gospel-centered. Because the poor, Christ even said, the poor will always be with us. So we are to give to the poor, to help the poor. But sometimes, you know what, you also understand, sometimes the poor are always going to stay poor. And are you committed to helping maybe one person make better choices? Instead of trying to help the world, maybe helping one person who you know to remove themselves from that situation. And so going, moving on, so it's a balance prevention. So two areas under how can we show balanced love to others is, first of all, balance prevention. And what that means is it's a sheltered protection. If you think about it in terms of a young child, they need more boundaries, but yet also freedom to make the right choice. So balance prevention. Bear one another's burdens is a balance prevention. And what that is is as the freedom to make the right choice, but sometimes you need to rescue a child before they make the wrong decision. So when someone says, oh, will you help bear my burden? Understanding the first time you're going to go through and evaluate. But is this a first time? Is it their third time? Because there are people who you can help bear their burdens, but it becomes a prevention because sometimes you want to prevent this person from making the same mistakes. Isn't that parents want to prevent their children from making the same mistakes they did? They want them to live a better life. But sometimes the mistakes that you made are what molded and shaped your characters. Tom Brokaw wrote the book, The Greatest Generation. My grandmother read, um, gave that to me and said, here you go. I read the first version. I read the second version. But the insight into it was that what made this nation great, after World War II, these individuals who worked hard, sacrificed, they really helped build the stability to allow the economic situation in the United States to be stable. But then they said, we don't want our children to go through that. And granted, understand what they went through was hard and difficult, but it helped shape them. Imagine if you were a millionaire. Now, with being a millionaire, it requires great responsibility. 
And nowadays, it's not even enough. If you think, oh, you have to be, have more than that. But with that, imagine if you were to pass that to someone else or to the next generation, someone else. If you were to just give them that, you'd be like, hey, a million dollars, you know? Sometimes they wouldn't know how to spend it. They would just spend it all. They wouldn't have any understanding concept because it was given to them. But to earn that, and if you, what took place to earn, to work, to suffer, to sacrifice. If you've ever worked a small business and you're the main business uh, worker, you're the one who stays there through the weekends. You're the one who has to, if you don't help out, the business dies. You're there 24-7 sometimes. You're the one they call when something breaks down. But suppose someone else comes in, they don't have the same idea of ownership. And so they don't understand what takes place. And so their loyalty is different. It's the same way. And sometimes in prevention, we have to let those people go through those consequences. And, and some, we want to protect them because it's dangerous. You don't want them to make the same mistakes because this will ruin them, destroy them. And so that's where bearing one another's burdens, as you know the believer, it's be careful where you allow them to get into, but also understand that there are consequences and mistakes that they need to make on their own because that will bring about the change. And then the balanced separation. Unbiblical actions lead to opportunistic consequences. What that means is that failure is not bad. In the United States, we got this idea, oh, failure is bad. Failure is bad. If I fail one time, it's bad. And I'll be honest, failure is a teaching tool. For you to fail is to understand. But now, if you have the potential and don't do the work, failure is bad. <clears throat> because some of us just let it go, and that's still a decision. If we don't work at it and use our God-given talents and abilities, then we're wasting God's time. But balanced separation is that failure, this response to that failure, either leads us to Christ or from Christ. And sometimes in defining a burden, we say, oh, this burden, and I cannot bear it. This burden that is placed upon me, it's of your own device. It's of your own, uh, it's a natural consequence of your actions. And so guess what? Sometimes we have to live with that. But you can be crushed. You can just wallow in the discouragement of that. Or you can look at it as the fact that God has allowed you to be in that position. And now, what is God teaching you? How can you use your position to honor Christ? You can either move toward God or you can move away from God. And we have the opportunity. This is where it says the unbiblical actions lead to um, opportunistic consequences. Sometimes these burdens that we've gotten into and this balanced separation, believers, sometimes we need to remove ourselves from these people who keep making the mistakes. And we have the opportunity to respond correctly when we have made bad choices. Too often, society promotes that we keep saving, quote, saving or rehabilitating people. And you will not see positive change in people until the Spirit of God works in them and they're ready to change. And as we look at what takes place here, they're at the point in their lives where they've recognized a situation and it requires humility. Humbling, turning to God, and facing the consequences. Then they have the opportunity to truly change. But then you see there is a future. 
And so as we look at you will not fulfill the law of Christ, it's interesting because it's in direct contrast. As Paul is speaking here about you will not fulfill the law of Christ. There is not any written law of Christ. I think what he's referring back to as we think about what does Jesus talk about. The greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love neighbors as yourself. But it's a contrast. Paul has been speaking in contrast to the law of mankind. Remember back in Galatians, it's talking about all these man-made laws, circumcision, following the law of the Jews. And here, the moral law, the civilian law, but to love the Lord your God with all your heart, to love your neighbor, it means to live by the fruit of the spirit and not by the lust of the flesh. To follow after, which isn't always easy, but it's necessary. And to allow the spirit of God to reign in you, to take control of your lives, because that's hard. We want control, but to allow the spirit. And so the unnatural response is to not get angry when someone offends us. To not respond in that bitterness when people have wronged us. Well, they know better. I'll be, I'm guilty as you, you know, driving. People cut you off. They don't use their blinker light. You know, it's, I just want to, you know, get a flat tire, you know. Pray that God's condemnation comes down and, you know, hopefully you get that police, that ticket. It's just our natural response. But understand a spirit-led response is, guess what? They're a sinner and they don't know any difference. Or maybe I don't know what's on the other side of it. There's in there someone who is rushing to have a baby. I don't know. But what I do know is that my, I can control, I can only control my response with help of the Holy Spirit. So now as we look at a spirit-led active response, and let me just read it again as it says here. But if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So just Four items as we look at this. A spiritual response is rooted in humility. If anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Deceives himself. Go ahead and bring that up. It says, Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given to me that everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So humility is the first thing. Secondly, a spiritual response examines the heart. Each person should examine his own work. What motivates your actions? Some of you will be better at carrying on one another's burdens. Some of you will be able to help others differently, have a little more insight. But where are you at spiritually? How is your relationship with Christ? And have you grown in the past year? So spiritual response is going to examine the heart. But also, a spiritual, a spiritual response is going to shout, Hosanna! It's not Easter, but save we pray. Literally, praise to God for using you. Do you know there's going to be times where you're going to actually give good advice to help someone in carrying their burden, and they're going to change, and they're going to be out of that situation, and through the process, God is honored and blessed, and you can say, praise the Lord. We need to praise the Lord because it identifies who deserves the praise. And you're going to struggle with the fact when someone says, thank you so much for doing that in my life. Oh, no big deal. We simply say, you know what, through the strength of Christ. You need to come up with some, not catchphrase, but way of deflecting that praise to God. You know, praise the Lord. I am thankful that he used me. You can include yourself because guess what? God did use you. 
And there's a reason because it says boasting in them. These others are boasting in themselves alone, but it's not wrong to boast in the fruit of the ministry when God uses you for his service. Because even as we look at the text, you wonder, oh, I'm not supposed to boast. Well, we don't boast in ourselves. We boast that what Christ did through us. When a person is seen, when someone does a special, you know, they have the accountability to understand that it is Christ working in through them and God used their abilities and talents. And praise the Lord to deflect that. Remember, we are like spiritual mirrors in order to deflect the honor of God, the glory of God, back to him. But each of us, remember, we shine like lights. Let your light so shine before men. It's, if you think about spirituality, some of you are LED lights. Some of you are dim-witted, no, no. I was going to say dim-witted bulbs, but, you know, just understand that that's how we are. But, you know, we shine. But at times, we're going to shine brighter. Think about that surge. You know, all of a sudden, you, you think about, oh, wow, the generator or there is electricity surge and the lights all go brighter. You each have the opportunity and privilege to shine brightly in different circumstances. And so the last thing we hear is a spiritual response involves holiness. Verse 5. Verse 5 it says, For each person will have to carry his own load. Each person has carried their own load. It means that they are individually spiritually responsible for their own actions before a holy God. You can't say the devil made me do it. You can't say the difficult childhood, the abusive parents, the disobedient children, poor work environment, unresponsive husband or wife, unloving family, my poor health, my poor wallet, or it was the dog's fault. Unspiritual people say, if only I had more money, if only I had a better job, if only I had loving parents, if only you know, my husband or wife did this, if only my dog didn't chew up uh, my house. If only I had a yellow Ferrari. You know, they, that's what they say. If only, if only. But our actions either reflect the lust of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. So as we arrive at the culmination of this, understand is, look at the next slide. To be spiritual means that your greatest priority is to glorify God the Father and allow the Spirit of God to produce fruit in you. And in that, our present hope our promise is that we have the person, the Holy Spirit, to guide us. And we have the benefit of other believers who are here who have the same spirit. And our future hope and promise lies in the cross of Christ and future home in heaven. And that is our desire, to glorify God, to be spiritual, to respond in a way that allows the spirit of God to permeate our lives. Because that will help us to, to react, to be active and proactive and respond in ways that we would not naturally or humanly behave. It is the Spirit of God working inside of us to help us to become spiritual. Shall we pray?